Ayo, 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 what's up? What's up? What's going on, ladies? What's going on to the gentlemen and them fellas, them fellas, them fellas? How you doing? How you rocking? How's your week going? It is Monday. It's Monday right now, right? So I got a draft Monday night tonight. I got a draft Tuesday, two drafts on Tuesday night, and then Wednesday night. I am so excited. It is it is crunch time, right? It is the week that, yes, I think that drafting early on makes sense as well for people to try and gain an edge, but you obviously take on all of the risk, especially in a year like this of, okay, somebody's going to opt out for COVID. Somebody's going to get hurt like players normally do, right? Somebody's going to get cut or released by their team when all the cuts happen, right? You, you take those huge risks of drafting players so, so high when now they're not going to be great options, but you also get the benefits of taking Clyde edwards Hilaire in every second and third round earlier on in the offseason when now he's a borderline top five pick at least for me and at least a first round pick for most reasonable drafters and most reasonable leagues right now i love the fact that i have a league tonight for awesome if you're familiar with my work i do some shows over there i have a home league on tuesday and wednesday night i cannot wait i'm very excited for drafting and today we're going to be looking at my top 50 overall players. Now, this is going to be based on just PPR format. It's going to be based on a top 50 list of every single position. And I'll give you a spoiler alert. You're only going to see two tight ends, probably maybe three. I actually have to see and remember. And you're only going to see one quarterback make my top 50. And it's not going to be for a while. So yes, I'm somebody who is not drafting quarterbacks early on. And I don't think you should be drafting quarterbacks in your first round, your second round. I got a couple of comments the last couple of days. The views are really picking up on these videos. So I appreciate all of you. And while we're there, another way to make these views reach even more people, two quick things. The like button, it takes one second of your time. It's totally free. And if you hit the subscribe button in the bottom right-hand corner, big one popping up on the screen right now on YouTube, or if you hit the subscribe button on the podcast, those things just generate the algorithm to push it towards more people. Hey, these people like it. They're subscribing within the content. Let's show it to even more people. So we're going to go over my top 50 players. I'll kind of go over it like five players at a time and kind of just break down one of them at that rank that might be a little bit different than what you're thinking and explain why. And we'll go from there to get you prepared. Now I have a video that's out on my top running back tiers. I have my wide receiver tiers, all those things. Some of the things have gotten adjusted. Yes, there was cuts the last two days. So I adjusted those things. Adrian Peterson has adjusted and moved all of the Detroit running backs, right? His cut from Washington moved in a big way. A lot of those Redskins running backs. So you can see it, all of what I have to offer, and it's going to be updated every single day. Player profiles, the top 150 rankings, projections, all this stuff, rankings for PPR and non-PPR, and you're going to get tiers and all that. It's going to be included. Key stats database on my Supreme Draft Guide. It's linked down below. Just $10 Ruskies. Thanks to Monkey Knife Fight. You can figure out how to get it linked down below. So thank you. I appreciate you. Let's get into this one. And I'll just talk about kind of the schedule for this week. Season-long content will be going out tomorrow and Tuesday. I'm going to record the draft that I do tonight on Monday night and kind of put that bad boy up there as sort of an early round strategy for a draft that's got real money on the line, a real buy-in, a real league right now that I'll be going into tonight. There might be a season-long video going out on Wednesday, but if not, it's just going to be daily fantasy sports taking over the rest of the week. There's already a video out for my first look. We'll do some showdown content. We'll do a final look. We'll have some live streams about two, three times a week before the games start on Monday night and Thursday night football and Sunday. You can come in there. You could ask me your season-long questions, start or sit, anything like that. You could ask me your DFS questions and then we'll go from there so that's all that let's get into this brad boy right now we're going to start it off with the top five the top five seems at least pretty reasonable and consistent for me christian mccaffrey saquon barkley ezekiel elliott alvin kamara and clyde edwards lair i'm very big on drafting running backs early you're not going to find a wide receiver in my rankings until eight and you're only going to find one in my top 11 right now so i guess there's a couple things to point out here we'll talk about kamara and clyde edwards lair i think the first three mccaffrey saquon and zeke they're all my tier one of running backs they're all fine to me zeke in my opinion has the highest touchdown upside obviously mccaffrey has the highest opportunity share but saquon has the highest, I would say, ceiling from both a touchdown standpoint and the fact that they're just hyping him up to talk about him as a Christian McCaffrey player in the passing game, like he was kind of his rookie season when Eli Manning was checking down to him almost, it seemed, eight times a game at minimum. But Alvin Kamara, I did move him to six and I moved up Clyde Ebertelaire and Joe Mixon ahead of him for about two days or so when he was holding out and the Saints said, we're going to trade you or at least we're open to trading you. Their trade talks got denied from everybody because they wanted a first round pick and then some and now people aren't even taking running backs in the first round. So it was pointless and they needed him. It seemed like it was just some sort of 
pressure. So I think the contract situation is going to be okay. I'm not positive for Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara as I am with Joe Mixon, who just signed a four-year deal and they got him locked up and insured. So yeah, you can see Alvin Kamara and or Dalvin Cook sit out. They can. Yes, they went to camp. It doesn't really matter. They can sit out and opt out. I don't think it's smart for them. They'll lose their salary for those games and they won't accrue any bonuses from the union right now based on the new CBA. They're just going to lose that money. So I don't know how much they're going to actually want to do that. I don't know how much they're going to want to stick to trying to bargain in quote unquote good faith. But right now I'm assuming Kamara is going to play. And yes, he's my fourth overall player. He's going to be running behind the fifth ranked run blocking unit last year that added Cesar Ruiz, an offensive lineman in the draft in the first round. So it's just going to be a bonus there. This is a player that dealt with an injury for a month last year. He dealt with a month last year of injuries and everybody was hyping up his touchdowns. They weren't there. And then he goes on a tear the final month of the season, ends up finishing with six touchdowns, even though he was banged up slash missed two weeks, but was banged up for about three or four of those weeks in a pretty major way. And for the third year in a row, Alvin Kamara caught 81 passes. Yes, go look at his career. Every single year, 81 receptions. The upside is there. If this guy doesn't miss games, if he's going to stay healthy, he has the opportunity to see 115 targets and close to 100 receptions. That's not even counting the fact that he's probably going to touch the ball 200 plus times on the ground. His role overall got increased last year with Mark Ingram gone. Latavius Murray was there. And Murray was very good in the two games that Alvin Kamara was not out there. But in the other games, Murray was just seeing about six to eight touches per game. I believe it was about 6.6 touches per game. Whereas Mark Ingram, when he was on this team, was seeing about 10 touches per game. So just more snaps overall, more red zone touches for Alvin Kamara when he was healthy. Now, Clyde Edwards Lair at five overall. Initially, when Damian Williams went down, I put Clyde Edwards Lair as my seventh running back and seventh overall in my rankings. I then bumped him up ahead of Dalvin Cook and ahead of Joe Mixon. Dalvin Cook is all because of concerns right now. This does not feel the same way as Le'Veon Bell when he held out because Le'Veon Bell said, I'm holding up. I'm just not showing up. Dalvin Cook has pretty much said to the media, and it's been reported at this point by Adam Schefter that do not be shocked if Dalvin Cook does not step out there week one on the field. Like there's been murmurs that he's just not going to play. Now, he has not come out and confirmed that he's not going to play, but he did say, beware to fantasy owners that draft me last year about two months ago. So look, Dalvin Cook has not signed a deal. It seems like there's been no positive traction on that deal, but maybe silence is a good thing there, but it's the risk, right? I can't put a guy at fourth overall or fifth overall because there is a risk that he misses just a month of the season because there's contract issues. I don't think that's going to happen, but I didn't think Le'Veon Bell was going to sit out for an entire year. I remember Le'Veon Bell went 10th overall in, the, in my home league that year. I was drafting 11th and I was so happy to about to get Le'Veon Bell at 11th overall. I thought everybody was a bunch of donkeys. Well, thankfully the guy in front of me, shout out Buddy, took Le'Veon Bell that year. So shouts to Buddy, I didn't have to swallow that one. And the fact that I think Clyde Bridgeler honestly has just as much upside as Dalvin Cook. I might even leave him there. I might put Cook just over Joe Mixon if Cook was to definitely sign a deal. But yes, Clyde Bridgeler, he has the caliber. KC running backs averaged 1.7 touchdowns per game with Mahomes and 6.6 targets per game last year. They just cut DeAndre Washington. So the backups are Daryl Williams and Darwin Thompson. Thompson, who was hyped up last year and did nothing, a second year player once LeSean McCoy came there last year. So it looks like it's Clyde Bridgeler backfield by all accounts. I think Darrell Williams will probably see probably four to five touches a game, maybe one to two targets. But I think you're coming into Clyde Edwards-Lair seeing probably five targets a game right now. He's going to probably see somewhere around 18 to 20 opportunities right off the bat, 13 carries or so, five targets. And that feels really good in this high-powered Chiefs offense. I want to have a lot of that. If you're going to profile out for a guy, as long as you're decent, right? As long as you could pass protect somewhat decently. That's the big thing for if he's going to stay on the field more or not. But if he can just be decent and pass protect a little bit, right? We know he has the pass catching game. We know he could be in between the tackles and be a shifty player and be good in the red zone. But can he pass protect? And if he's going to pass protect and he stays on the field that much, it's going to be hard to profile out a healthy Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to not score at least eight touchdowns with the upside for double digits in this Chiefs offense. If you're going to be on the field that much and you stay healthy and you can pass protect and play, let's just say 60 to 70% of the snaps, it's going to be hard not to see 10 touchdowns. And that's why he starts popping up this highly. And then you factor in the receiving game for PPR and he's a top five player for me overall. Now let's talk about six 
through 10. So number six overall, I have Mixon. Number seven, I have Dalvin Cook. Number eight, my first and only wide receiver in my top 10, Michael Thomas. Number nine, Derrick Henry. And number 10, Nick Chubb. So Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook at six and seven. I mean, they're interchangeable if you want them to be. I prefer Mixon now that he signed his contract. Yes, he's not behind a great offensive line, but neither is Dalvin Cook. I mean, you could say that they tried some things in Minnesota to improve it, but in Cincinnati, they really didn't try anything. They'll get Jonah Williams back, who was hurt all of last year, a former high draft pick for them. But Mixon was number one in evaded tackles last year behind a 31st ranked team. In the second half of the year, he was able to produce in a major way. His overall yards per game went above 120. That was 50 more than it was for the first half of the year. His targets increased, right? His overall opportunities increased into the 20 plus range instead of hovering around 15 or so. His fantasy points per game went from being about RB17 to being about RB3 in the second half of the season. Joe Mixon was an absolute force behind a terrible offensive line with quarterback play of Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley. Not good. So the offensive line will slightly improve with Jonah Williams. You're hoping that the quarterback can actually take some pressure now off of loaded eight-man boxes, and you're hoping that the second half of the year last year where his targets increased, they're going to increase even more where he only saw overall 2.8 targets per game last year but the second half really started to pick up there and with the extension I assume he's going to be more involved in the passing game so that's number six again Dalvin Cook is seven Michael Thomas at eight is my only receiver there's not much to say about Michael Thomas here number one wide receiver in target share last year at 33.2 percent he was first in receptions and fantasy points per game 149 receptions over 1700 yards and 23.4 fantasy points per game it's hard not to like him again yes I did have temptations to put a guy like Devontae Adams ahead of him just because of what Devontae Adams might actually have this year I mean look in the Packers offense and we'll get to Adams at 12th overall for me but in the Packers offense right now they just cut Reggie Belgaton who probably nobody even knows about him but he's another wide receiver they just cut Malik Turner who was a guy that they were trying to look at they're currently looking at Robert Foster the guy from Buffalo the speedster who had a couple of nice games down the stretch in 2018 but has done nothing in 2019 and really nothing since at all for the Buffalo Bills they don't have depth their depth right now is Devontae Adams sure Alan Lazard and then it starts to become a hodgepodge of guys who are unproven whether it's MVS unproven last year was never somebody that Rodgers trusted saying his camp has been decent, whether it was a guy, uh, St. Brown, who didn't play all of last year because he was pretty much hurt. And then they don't even have solid tight end play in a rookie or a second year player in Jay Sternberger, Robert Tonya, and I believe now a third year player. So it's not great right now out there. So yes, I do think there's gonna be a huge target share. I don't think there's gonna be double teams. It doesn't happen often outside of maybe the red zone in the NFL. And if it does, you're actually more susceptible than you are at stopping something. So if the red zone target share is gonna push like 40 plus percent, like it did close to last year, and he's gonna see, I mean, somewhere around 160 plus targets, you would imagine if he's healthy. Yeah, Devontae Adams starts to look really good. But the reason I can't get away from Michael Thomas is just the consistency. He still has the connection with the quarterback Drew Brees. Emmanuel Sanders is there, which can pull some attention away. But I think that's going to hurt Jared Cook a little bit more in 10 games of 100 plus yards last year. It wasn't just that Michael Thomas, like a guy in Mike Evans, was having three or four big games for you. And that's why he was a top receiver. No, it was every single week last year, 186 targets, 10 games of 100 plus targets. It's hard not to like him. He's eighth overall for me. And then to round out the top 10, Derek Henry is number nine. That might be low for some people, but look, this is PPR formats. If this was non-PPR formats, Derrick Henry would probably be like number four. Yes, the receptions matter that much. When a guy in Alvin Kamara is going to catch 80 plus balls this year and Derrick Henry, you're hoping catches 20 balls this year, that's going to make you go down a lot more in my rankings, right? When Clyde Edwards Lair as a rookie is going to profile out for 50 plus receptions and he's going to more than double, probably triple Derrick Henry's receiving totals this year, that's going to push you down. But when PPR points don't come into play, point per reception, then yes, Derrick Henry moves up. Nick Chubb at 10 overall, Miles Sanders is at 11, then Devontae Adams at 12, rounds out the top 12. I think I might get some pushback on Nick Chubb at 10th overall. That's fine. I welcome it. I completely see the agreement on the other side, or at least the argument of, yeah, Kareem Hunt's back there, yada, yada, yada. Kevin Scafancy is there. Now he's going to run the ball behind two tight end sets more than they did last year. It's going to help Baker Mayfield, who his biggest skill set was play action passing when it came to accuracy and efficiency last year. There's going to be more of that. So that helps OBJ, which means that I like OBJ a lot this year. It helps Landry. I like Landry 
every year he's so staple and consistent. But it's also going to help Nick Chubb because he saw 298 carries on the ground last year. Yes, he was out received in just the final eight games by Kareem Hunt, who caught one more, I believe, one more pass than him. So yes, it's Kareem Hunt's role in the passing game. Kareem Hunt this year might catch 70 passes, and that's why you're drafting him as a pretty decent fourth or fifth round option at the running back position. But you draft Nick Chubb for the overall opportunity. Look, Nick Chubb, 298 carries last year, was stuffed more than expected in terms of expectation outcome inside the 10 and inside the five yard line compared to other running backs who saw that many opportunities of around 50 or so plus red zone carries. So the touchdowns are going to be going up if he gets a similar role based on the improved offensive line of adding right now Jack Conklin and Jedrick Willis out of Alabama in the first round. And they head coach who, look, there's arguments to say that he wasn't really the guy behind the two tight end sets when he was in Minnesota, but there's also arguments that say, and very strong ones that, no, they're probably going to run more tight two tight end sets and it makes sense to based off of play action to help Baker Mayfield out a lot more. When a guy goes for over 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns and 298 carries being third in the league behind only Derrick Henry and Ezekiel Elliott, yeah, I feel really good about Nick Chubb's prospects to push towards another 300 carries alone. And sure, his receptions might go down. Maybe he becomes Derrick Henry and only catches 18 passes this year. But he factor that in with 300 carries. It's really hard not to like that overall opportunity a little bit more. He's at 10th overall for me. If you really wanted to put him at like 14th or 15th, it's not that big of a difference. It's a difference of like a touchdown or so. But the improvement to the offensive line is really the big thing here for me. And the head coach believing in running the ball 300 times, which I think is an awful actual strategy for a football team, but it's fine for us fantasy footballers. And if you're still here right now, give me a second of your time, like button for me, and the big subscribe button in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, this is crazy. These videos were only seeing like earlier in the week and really earlier in the month, like a couple thousand views. And now a lot of them are just pushing towards like 10,000 plus views because everybody's searching fantasy football. So it was a very pivotal time in my channels. I would say lifetime of about two years. I've never had this type of attention before. So if you do appreciate this content, please do just hit the like button. And in the bottom right-hand corner, if you could hit that subscribe button, it really does help this. Maybe it'll show it to like, if one of you hits the like and subscribe, it'll show it to like a hundred more people. And then hopefully that they click on it based on my thumbnail and all that stuff. So I do really appreciate that in advance. And I appreciate all of you. So now getting into 11 through 15, as I'll put them up on the screen right here, I'm going to go all the way to 16. So 11 through 16, Miles Sanders is at 11. He's my RB10. Then Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Kenyon Drake, Austin Eckler, Tyreek Hill, and Kenny Goddard. So you start to see some wide receivers, about four wide receivers pop up, and then the rest are going to be running backs. Out of all these names, I guess the names to kind of point out would be the range of 14 and 15 with Eckler and Kenyon Drake. I think you could flip-flop them, right? I think if you are worried about Kenyon Drake's walking boot at all, you can put Eckler up there. I would say that I'm a little bit worried about Eckler's overall role. Yes, he looks like a tank on these pictures on Instagram, right? But he was talking with the fantasy footballers on their podcast all earlier in the summer and said that he's probably going to be the same type of player. Based on the contract that he signed, it wasn't this mega superstar contract. It was a contract to be the same type of player, right? Touch the ball and be efficient on maybe 12 to 15 touches per game, not be a 20 to 24 overall touch guy and be the workhorse offense guy. And that's why they drafted Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. That's why they have Justin Jackson, who's a little bit nicked up right now to kind of fill in for that Melvin Gordon type role. And then you can see he was a talk on Instagram of a guy named the fantasy football counselor. And he pretty much said like, you draft me for efficiency, not volume. So I mean, here's some like red alert things, right? He was the most efficient player last year. And now you're trying to draft him off of that efficiency as a second round pick. I think he's a pretty good second round pick. I don't think he's a first round pick. I think with all the question marks around a lot of these other guys, whether it's aging veterans that people don't want to draft and Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette now with a different team, Todd Gurley, all those guys or the question marks around guys with their contract situations like Dalvin Cook, like it was Joe Mixon for a little while, injury concerns with maybe Kenny Drake and Miles Sanders, although I'm not concerned with them all that much. It leaves Austin Eckler as a guy that says, I'm healthy. I'm very efficient. Start to draft me earlier. And that's what's happening. He's my 15th overall player in my RB12. I'm fine if you want to take him a spot ahead of Kenyon Drake. I think that there is definitely some, oh, he only did it for a month or six weeks of the season last year, Kenyon Drake in his entire career. But there's also the upside for Kenyon Drake, I think is higher. I don't think Austin Eckler has a 300 to 350 touch ceiling in him. I think Kenyon Drake has that and they tried to give him that last year when the Chargers have never tried to give Austin Eckler that. So that's my one through 16. The last guy in there, as you can see on the screen, is Tyree Kill at my wide receiver four at 16th overall. I'm probably a little bit lower on him. I'm definitely not taking him in the first round. And yes, I do prefer Devontae Adams and Julio Jones. Somebody got into the comment section and said, you have Julio Jones as a top tier wide 
wide receiver this year. He's old, LOL. And they were so taken back by this. Okay, um, Andre Johnson was 32 years old when he led the league. Like these types of players are fine until they're 32. Sometimes they're fine until they're 33. And then they start breaking down, right? The Torrey Holtz of the world, Andre Johnson at that point, Calvin Johnson obviously retired early. He still had it. He could have kept playing. So the idea that Julio Jones is old at 32 years old. Yeah, I think that this is like the tipping point for him, but I don't think it's here yet, especially after he leads the league in receiving last year and has shown no signs of breaking down. I think that there's going to be a fine year for Julio Jones yet again in a dome atmosphere where he plays on a turf where yes, he deals with toe injuries every single day. But outside of that, he's had no catastrophic injuries as of late. So yeah, I think Julio is fine. I actually really like Julio. If you can like start your lineups this year uh, with maybe like a Joe Mixon in your draft and then get Julio in the second, I'd rather get back-to-back running backs if there's top guys there. But if Julio drops like he does to midway through the second round to maybe end of the second, I had some guy tell me he got Devontae Adams with his first pick in the third round in a 10-team draft. Like yes, smash the button on those guys at that point. So let's scroll down now and we'll take a look at my 17. Let's do 17 through just whatever else is left. So we'll put 17 all the way up on the top, 17 through 29 now. So for the people listening on the podcast version, I'll kind of vocalize some of these. We'll go about 10 at a time or so. But for the first five, Kenny Gade, Josh Jacobs, Todd Gurley, Aaron Jones, and Allen Robinson are my 17 to 21. I'm a lot higher on consensus than Kenny Gade, my wide receiver five, and Allen Robinson, my wide receiver six. Look, yes, Mitch Trubisky was named the starter. If Mitch Trubisky is good, well, that's going to help Allen Robinson. If he's not, well, Allen Robinson's still probably going to do decent based on Mitch Trubisky not being good last year, and Robinson's still finishing with a 30% red zone target share, fourth in targets, fifth in contested catch rate, almost 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns on 98 receptions, only one of five players to have 153 targets. That was with bad Mitch Trubisky last year. But if bad Mitch Trubisky happens this year, I expect Robinson to be fine and not really be impacted all that much by it. And then Nick Foles comes in and you expect that to be an upgrade, right? So I think that Robinson is kind of not quarterback proof, although that's what he's shown back in college with Christian Hackenberg, with Blake Bortles, with Mitch Trubisky. He's shown that he's quarterback proof for literally now like five to six years of a strong professional and collegiate career. He's just that dude. He's that good. So yes, Allen Robinson is my wide receiver six, 21st overall. And I will put this out as a disclaimer. If you're drafting in 12 team drafts, this means that based on my rank, Allen Robinson is worthy of a second round pick. I am not drafting Allen Robinson ever in the second round because you don't have to. He falls to the third and fourth round way too often. I'm just putting him on your top 150 so that you can see, oh, I still have value in Allen Robinson's left on my clock. I just drafted, let's just say now you're on the clock and you're in the third round. I just drafted Joe Mixon and Austin Eckler to start my draft. A pretty nice start in my opinion. Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, something like that at the term. And now I'm coming back around for the third and fourth round. And there's Allen Robinson, who on my top 150, if I have style Supreme Draft Guide, is a clear value right now in these rounds. I don't have to overdraft him because I can identify that he's a clear value. You always just have to know where that guy is based based on ADP. Same thing for Kenny Galladay. I'm ahead of the field on Kenny Galladay. He's being taken in the mid to end of the third round based on my rank. I think he's a second round pick based on what I have him as because I think he's a top five wide receiver, but you never have to draft him there. I never draft Kenny Galladay in the second round because that's a reach in my opinion. I draft him in the third and usually the end of the third to fourth round. So I think those guys are fine there. I've been getting a little bit, maybe not pushback, but questions of Josh Jacobs, my rank of him on 13th overall. Yes, they did cut Theo Riddick. Yes, they did trade away Lim Bowden, but everybody's jumping up and down about that, helping out Josh Jacobs role. No, they brought in so many of these guys to compete with each other for the backup job. They signed Jalen Richard early, then they signed Devontae Booker pretty early, and then they ended up drafting Lynn Bowden, who ended up having a terrible camp, and they traded him away to, I believe, Miami. And then they signed Theo Riddick, another pass-catching specialist who's like 30-plus years old, I think like 32 at this point. All those guys were competing with each other. It was pretty obvious based on the contract that a guy in probably Jalen Richard was making the team, but then it was Devontae Booker, Lynn Bowden, and Theo Riddick competing for one to two more spots. None of those guys being cut or not impacted the pass-catching changes of a guy in Josh Jacobs. All this shows you is that they want strong pass-catchers behind him. So yes, I can't project out Josh Jacobs for 50 receptions. I hope to project him out for like another 25 to 30, but based on what they're doing this offseason, it seems like they just want to get pass catching specialists behind him. They have no grinders, no workhorse early down guys behind him right now. So for me, when I compare that role to guys like Austin Eckler and Kenyon Drake, yeah, their upside in the receiving department is much higher. And then the only other spot where you can compare it to is Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb I have right now, I believe, 
ninth overall at my running backs and I have Josh Jacobs at 13th overall. So it's a little bit of a difference right there. It's just more security and trusting in Nick Chubb's overall offense, I would say, to get to the red zone. It is really close. If you wanted to argue with me and say that Josh Jacobs should be ranked ahead of Nick Chubb, that's fine, right? Both of their receiving upsides is probably going to be capped around 20 to 25. Jacobs maybe has a little bit higher to that, whereas Nick Chubb doesn't because of Kareem Hunt being out there. There's also a chance, a slim chance that Kareem Hunt can get traded at some point during the season. I do think it's a slim chance, but we've seen it happen before. Hence Kenyon Drake literally last year. But yeah, Josh Jacobs at this point is my RB13. I think he does have some wiggle room to get into my top 15 overall, uh, but that's about it. So we can go down now to my next players from 22 to 26 overall. 22, Chris Carson, 23, Gordon, then DeAndre Hopkins, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. So my tight ends start to come out. I think these tight ends are fine to be taken in the third round. That's where I have them ranked right now. I personally never take them there, but I think that's where their value actually is. I just prefer all the late round tight ends at this point. So Kelsey at 25 and Kittle at 26. That's how close they are for me. I have Kelsey over Kittle in my rankings, but they're literally neck and neck that close for me right now. Kittle back-to-back years is the number one tight end in fantasy points per game. He finished last year in first in receptions, yards, targets, things like total target distance, just all these really high upside and efficiency. And oh yeah, his quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. And then you have George Kittle last year who fit into the mold of Kyle Shanahan loving guys after the catch, being the number one tight end in yards after the catch. He was tied with Kelsey last year, at least for 15.9 fantasy points per game. And he led all tight ends with a 28.2% team target share and 26.2% red zone target share. So the upside's there for these guys. I normally don't draft them there, but if you are curious on when is an appropriate time to draft them based on their rank right around the beginning of the third round for 12 team drafts. Outside of that, another one that's going to probably stand out a sore thumb here is Melvin Gordon. A lot of talk of Philip Lindsay being a 50-50 back that he pushed Melvin Gordon in camp. I'll believe it when I see it. I just don't believe it right now. And I do have Melvin Gordon 23rd overall, which means to me that he's like an early third round pick end of the second round in 12 team formats. I never draft him there. You can get Melvin Gordon right now at the end of the third round, beginning of the fourth round. He slid a lot at this point. This is another indicator like Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay that there's just value left on the board. So for me at this point, a pretty nice start would be getting those two running backs and let's just say a Mixon and Austin Eckler. You get your third round pick being an Allen Robinson. And then in the fourth round, you can snag Melvin Gordon. And when you're drafting in the fourth round, you can see that Melvin Gordon is still a really strong value. I don't believe in this 50-50 split. I don't believe that they came in and they paid Melvin Gordon $8 million a year or so to let Philip Lindsay be a guy there for 50% of the snaps. Philip Lindsay has not been an efficient receiving running back. They were giving more overall passes last year to Royce Freeman because Philip Lindsay was very bad catching the ball after the catch, yards per reception, all this type of stuff when he had the ball in his hands. He was good in between the tackles for an undersized back, almost in a Christian McCaffrey way with back-to-back seasons as an undrafted free agent, I believe, going for a thousand plus yards. But I think they brought in Melvin Gordon for a reason. He's going to get all the red zone work. I think he's going to get a big bulk of the receiving work. And I think he's going to get a lot of the early down work. I think Melvin Gordon can push for a 300 touch season. In 12 games last year, he went over 200 touches, right? So I do think that Melvin Gordon probably you can shoot him in for about 250 touches. That'll be about 215 touches per game or so. That'll be about 15 total touches per game. I think he has that in him. Two to three receptions per game and 12 carries seems pretty firm. And I think there's only more upside from that. I think that Phil Lindsay probably had a good camp, but I don't think it's going to be a clear 50-50 split in this backfield. I actually don't think that's good for their team. And then DeAndre Hopkins at 24th overall. Yeah, I'm not drafting Hopkins till the third round in 12 team drafts, maybe the end of the second round. I'm very low on him. He's my wide receiver eight. A lot of people who are casuals right now watching this and saying, how do you have Hopkins so low? He changed teams. He normally sees about 160 targets per year. And now he's probably going to go into an offense where he sees about 125 to 130. And that offense loves to spread the ball out. That's the whole idea of the air raid offense is to spread the ball out. Christian Kirk's probably going to see 115 targets if healthy. Larry Fitzgerald's going to see a minimum of 80 targets. I assume that they're going to give Andy Isabella probably somewhere around 50 targets this year, give him four or five targets per game at some point towards the end of the season and their four wide receiver sets. So yes, I do think that a guy in the 
Andre Hopkins is still going to be a weapon in the red zone. But I do think changing teams, new quarterback, no chemistry in an offseason like COVID, I think it's going to automatically shrink his target share because there was just nobody to throw the ball to. And Deshaun Watson loved throwing it out there to DeAndre Hopkins because guys like Will Fuller and Kiki Kute have not been healthy and throwing to Kenny Stills has never really done good over the last year or so for Deshaun Watson. So yeah, I think Hopkins is going to take a pretty big step backwards. So let's look at the rest of this now. We'll start at number 27 overall and we'll go down from there. So if we start at number 27 and we go down a couple spots, 27 overall is Odell for me, 28 Mike Evans, and then it goes DJ Moore, Chris Carson, Mark Andrews. So there are a couple other tight ends in here. Jonathan Taylor, Robert Woods, Adam Thielen, and Juju Smith-Schuster take us from 27 to 35 overall. I'm pretty high on DJ Moore. DJ Moore is my wide receiver 10. I'm close to putting him above Mike Evans, but Mike Evans' consistency over the last couple of years, I just can't at this point. In 13 games, Evan goes for almost 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns. He was pretty hit or miss in those games, right? Going off for 30 plus fantasy points in some and zero in some other ones, getting shut down in goose egg by Marshawn Lattimore, who he actually plays week one this year. A little bit concerning for DFS purposes and maybe even your lineups. But DJ Moore, wide receiver 11, love this kind of fit right now with Teddy Bridgewater. Very accurate quarterback in the short to intermediate, was starting to improve his deep passing last year when he was with the Saints. And you have a very strong route runner who succeeds and excels in the short, intermediate, and deep parts of the field, and is very good after the catch. I like DJ Moore, saw 135 targets last year. He's a clear alpha on this team. He's due for touchdown regression as well, seeing 135 targets, 87 receptions, and just four touchdowns. He was top five, or he's number six actually overall in contested catch rate. It's hard not to like DJ Moore, in my opinion, at this point. All of this was with a guy in Kyle Allen who was brutal, was with a guy in Will Greer who was brutal. So now if your argument is, oh, Teddy Bridgewater is not good. Do you think DJ Moore is going to really be that good? He was legit this good with a guy named Kyle Allen and Will Greer, who you will never tell your grandkids about. So yes, I like DJ Moore at number 29 overall, my wide receiver 11 right now. Jonathan Taylor, I'm taking a stance on him. He's normally going at like RB22. I'm ahead of that. I'm RB18 on him. I think Jonathan Taylor is a fine third round pick, a definitely a really fine fourth round pick if you get him there. Last year at Wisconsin, over 2,000 yards, 320 carries, and he caught 26 balls. He can catch passes. Oh, but Sal, he dropped like three balls in camp. Okay, they're literally just reporting that because the narrative coming out was, or it's blowing up because the narrative coming out was he's not a good pass catching back. That is a false narrative. It is a comparison tool, right? He's not a good pass catching back compared to the guys he was coming out against this specific year. And that's true. He's not as good of a pass catching back as Clyde Edwards Lair or as DeAndre Swift or potentially Cam Akers. I get all of that, but I think he's a very good pass catching back. And when you look at him in the context of the entire league, he literally caught 26 balls last year and pushed towards a 10% target share in a Wisconsin offense that never throws the ball. He was definitely the best college zone runner last year and potentially of all time. I want Jonathan Taylor on my teams. Marlon Mack did have a good camp. He's going to start as a starter. He'll probably play four to six weeks as the starter, maybe even more than that. But at some point and probably right out of the gate, Jonathan Taylor is going to see 30 to 40% of the snaps. And then he's going to quickly start to see 50 and 60%. And then he's going to keep running, breaking off these long runs and breaking tackles like he did in college and scoring touchdowns. And then he's going to be, oh, RB1. He just saw 75% of the snaps in week eight, something like that, similar to a Miles Sanders last year. 33, Robert Woods. I've talked about him all the offseason. I'm very high on Robert Woods this year. He's my wide receiver 12. He saw an increased role when the Rams went 12 personnel, whereas Cooper Cup saw the opposite last year. Cooper Cup banged up in the camp as well. Cooper Cup does not have a lot of experience on the outside right now, and he struggles on the outside, whereas Robert Woods was fantastic on the outside. Back-to-back years of 130 plus targets, seeing 140 last year, due for some touchdown regression. You see 140 targets, only two touchdowns. He's never been a guy to score touchdowns, but I mean, 140 targets, you should be scoring like four to five touchdowns. Any wide receiver should, especially when you're seeing like close to a 20% red zone target share. I believe you saw like 17% red zone target share last year. So let me get towards the middle of Adam Thielen at 34, Juju at 35. Not much to say here. I think these guys are fine. Thielen just 10 games last year. Only saw 48 targets, a run heavy approach, but now there's no digs. He's going to be the main guy out there. Yada, yada, yada. You know, he's a little bit touch on dependent, but you assume that the volume goes up with no Stefan Diggs. You assume that he takes over the slot a little bit more. His slot usage last year, though, important to call out that they use more two tight end sets. So Thielen's slot usage dropped 25% from 2018 to 2019 in the games that he actually played. So just keep that in mind. Slot usage is very important for wide receivers. Everybody wants to jump up and down about no more Stefan Diggs, but Thielen is not a deep threat naturally. 
naturally, like Stefan Diggs. So those same exact targets aren't necessarily going to be recouped. And if they continue to play a lot of 12 personnel, no more Kevin Skafanski, but if they do continue to play a lot of 12 personnel, Busy Johnson seems to have beat out Justin Jefferson on the one outside hash mark for the Minnesota Vikings and Adam Thielen on the other outside. It's a lot harder to get separation and win consistently on the outside, unless you're a mega elite, like a Devontae Adams, a Tyreek Hill, some of these guys, a Julio Jones, all those guys, right? Michael Thomas, throw all those guys in there. But if you're in the slot, it's a lot easier to win because you're usually facing worse cornerbacks and you have more of the field to work with, meaning that even the best cornerbacks in the world, that's why they don't play in the slot. The best cornerbacks in the world are more susceptible. A player can go to the right or the left. Whereas if they're playing on the left outside, the player can only go to the right or straight to them, not to the left because the out of bounds line is another defender. So those are slight concerns with Adam Thielen. That's why I think some people have him ranked like sixth or seventh overall. That's fine, but he's going to lose his slot role. He's probably not going to have that as much, which means that his touchdown efficiency goes down. His yards per reception probably goes down. His overall catch rate and overall targets and receptions might actually be limited because of that. I think it's a little bit underrated and underreported this offseason, but it's at least a stat that you should be aware of. So let's now start at 36 overall, and we can go down basically to 40, and then I'll show the rest of it. So 36, David Johnson, 37, Amari Cooper, and then it goes Calvin Ridley, Antonio Gibson, ding, 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 Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, Zach Ertz, Cam Akers, Cooper Cup, and Tyler Lockett take us to 36 to 45. I'll talk about Antonio Gibson. He's my 39th ranked player overall. I think he's a very strong fourth round pick. He's the RB20 on my rankings. I have him ahead of guys like Le'Veon Bell, James Conner, Cam Akers. You have to shoot for upside in your drafts. You can't just be drafting at ADP. If you draft at ADP and you're good at it, oh yeah, you're finished fourth or fifth in your draft. If you like that, if you if you like the, the $40 price point in your draft, that's fine. I want to win first place. I want to be in the championship every single year. And Antonio Gibson is a guy who gives you that opportunity. They did not cut Adrian Peterson because Peyton Barber had an okay camp. They did not cut Adrian Peterson because Bryce Love had a good start to camp because JD McKissick was doing good in his satellite role. They did it because Antonio Gibson is a three down back for them. And he was an absolute monster in college on a limited sample on 307 snaps and only like 75 career touches. But then he was a beast in camp. These were the quotes from the team, not the beat writer who's sitting there trying to get clicks on his Twitter. These were the quotes from the team. Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator said that he's never had a running back that he can do so many things with, whether it's in jet sweeps, whether it's in the receiving game, whether it's running him right up to tackles or using him in the red zone, this guy can do it all. And earlier in the off season, you had a guy in Ron Rivera who coached the Panthers last year, who coached Christian McCaffrey last year, compare Christian McCaffrey's skill set to Antonio Gibson. And everybody's heads blew up. How dare you compare somebody to Christian McCaffrey, the GOAT, the man who just got the extension, the 400 touch man. He didn't say he was Christian McCaffrey. He said his skill sets of being able to pass protect, of being able to go in between the tackles, being used in the red zone, somewhat undersized, being able to do jet sweeps, all of these things. You can work your offense through him. That's what the quote was. Not the people who just read the headlines and let their heads explode on Twitter because they get enjoyment from seeing what their opinion is on Twitter. That, that's what that's what people do, right? I don't know if people watching this do. I'm sure that you guys are much smarter than the average Twitter person. But people literally see something happen and they go on Twitter to find their opinion. That's what they do. They, don't, they can't. You can't form opinions anymore. People literally see. Oh, uh, Ron Rivera says that Christian McCaffrey has the same skill sets or similar skill sets to Antonio Gibson right now. And then people go, Oh, I mean that makes sense. They both catch passes. Yada yada yada. Let's go on Twitter and see what happens. Oh, everybody's freaking out. I'm woke now. I'm freaking out. And then that's what happens, right? Group think takes over, and a bunch of donkeys finish fifth in their fantasy football leagues. Antonio Gibson is a monster. Adrian Peterson leaving, leaving and getting cut on his exit interview, which he was so gracious to do like five days before a season starts all class in the world, Adrian Peterson, the GOAT. He said they want somebody that can do all three downs of work. And Antonio was a monster in camp. I'm paraphrasing, but he pretty much said that this team wants somebody. And they said it earlier in the offseason. Ron Rivera said he wants just one running back to rely on, not the Matt Patricia style of having five guys carry the ball. And then Adrian Peterson comes out and says, yeah, me, a Hall of Fame running back who saw 230 touches for this team and was pretty efficient last year in my old age was just cut because this kid out of college out of Memphis was absolutely balling out in camp. And they 
said that they want somebody to fill a three down role. And it seems like he's going to be the first guy to get a crack at it. So yeah, I think Antonio Gibson is going to see 15 plus touches a week to start out. Yeah. Week one DFS, he's $4,000. He looks pretty damn good and pretty damn tasty. And right now is my RB 20. I like it a lot at 39 overall. Going down a little bit more, you can see my tight end four right now in Zach Ertz. Notice I don't have any quarterbacks at this point. You're going to see one in just a second. Cooper Cup at 44, Cam Akers at 43. It seems like Daryl Henderson Jr. might be ready by week one. Um, We'll have to see. If he's not, he'll probably be ready by two or three. A hamstring little tweak there. I think Cam Akers anyways is going to have the best opportunity. Cam Akers running behind one of the worst, if not the worst offensive lines in the Rams. There's been nothing to help it in the offseason. But Cam Akers can do a lot. He caught 30 passes last year in 2019. He ended up carrying a load of over 225 touches. He scored 14 touchdowns. He's a pass protector. He's a good pass catcher. He ran behind a bad offensive line all of college and last year, the fourth worst in the power five. At 43 overall, my RB23, I do like Cam Akers. Again, this is an upside play. These are the rookies in this range. I'd rather draft these guys than guys that I think are in a pretty clear backfield, like Devin Singletary in a split backfield. People drafting Devin Singletary this year in like the fourth or fifth round, I mean, more power to you. Zach Moss is literally going to play just as many, if not more snaps than him and is being drafted like four to five to six rounds later. So I'd rather be drafting the upside backs in their backfields, like a guy in Zach Moss, like a guy in Cam Akers. I'm not drafting the Devin Singletary's and the Daryl Hundersons, who I don't think have all that much upside. Let's finish it out right now. Let's go down to number 50 as we're here. Hit that like, hit that subscribe button. I appreciate you all so much about to edit this video and get it up. We're going to release it. I, I normally don't do videos on the day I release them. It's right now. Like I started this video at like five in the morning. It's about six in the morning right now. I'm going to edit this and get it up as soon as possible because I want to get out as much content as we can before the season starts because I know a lot of you are drafting tonight, tomorrow, and on Wednesday as I am as well. So if you want to get the Supreme Draft Guide, take advantage of all the perks, the full top 150. Uh, it's going to be updated with all the news that comes out today, player profiles, uh, key stats databases, the tiers and rankings, which will help you uh, tremendously during your draft. Link down below, Monkey Knife Fight, the sponsor. You can see their logo up above on YouTube. Appreciate you all so much. And it's going to help you out a ton. The more informed you are, the better chance you have at win in dominating the draft and the donkeys in your league. Smack them around a little bit. Supreme Draft Guide will help you do that. So we can finish it up right here and you can see the last couple of names on the screen and I'll read through them and we finally get a quarterback. So number 40. So we'll start at 44 with Cooper Cup. 45 was Tyler Lockett. I think they're fine there. 46 is Keenan Allen. I think he's starting to fall into the fifth and sixth round. I have him ranked still as a fourth round pick. I think he's still very good there. He's my wide receiver 19. Look, Keenan Allen, yes, Tyrod Taylor's there. He's not going to just fall off the face of the earth. Mike Williams looks like he's going to miss significant time. I think that Austin Eckler sees less targets this year because Tyrod Taylor's mobility. Keenan Allen in the slot, who just got a mega extension for, I believe, like $80 million. I think he's going to be absolutely fine. And I think he's getting drafted a little bit too late because everybody likes the second year and third year players. And I do as well. And here they come. AJ Brown, 47 overall. DK Metcalf, 48. DJ Shark, 49. And then 50 overall is Patrick Mahomes. Only one quarterback? Well, literally the next guy, my 51st player is Lamar Jackson. That's how close they are. I have Mahomes over Jackson right now. And then if people are looking for Terry McLaurin, I believe he's like 52nd overall. So all these second and third year players, the second year players being AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, and Terry McLaurin. I love all those receivers, right? DJ Shark, a third year player who broke out last year in kind of a major way towards the middle of the season. Injury kind of derailed the end of it. But yeah, I love these guys. This is where I want to be getting my wide receiver twos and threes. But honestly, if these guys are like my ones and twos, I'm fine with that. Like if you have right now AJ Brown and DJ Shark as your one and two, I feel good about that. But if that's your two and three, you're building a really good team. So at this point, hopefully you have two running backs, maybe three, and then two of these receivers at this point feels really confident. Like if you're starting with Keenan Allen, AJ Brown, and like a Terry McLaurin, and you started off with like a Joe Mixon and a Miles Sanders, that's a very strong start to your draft, in my opinion. So not a lot to say down here. I don't draft QBs early. Obviously, I pick 50 and pick 51. Lamar and Patrick Mahomes are probably already off your board. So based on my tiers and based on my overall rankings and my Supreme Draft Guide, my subscribers over there will not be getting Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson because I don't think you should be drafting him in the first and second round. But Sal, I won my league last year with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, you drafted him in the 12th round. You didn't draft him in the first or second or third round. But Sal, two years ago, I won my league with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you drafted him in like the 12th or 13th round, not in the first and second round like you are right now. I'm sure there's a small percentage of you watching that drafted Patrick Mahomes in the first round or second round last year and won. It's a very small percentage. We don't like to play small percentages, right? If I told you that you had a 95% chance at winning by waiting on your quarterback or a 5%, I'm just making up the numbers here, right? But they're pretty close. 
or a 5% chance at drafting a QB in the first or second round. You're not going to choose the 5%, even though some people are going to say in the comment section, I was one of the 5%. Yeah, you're in the 5%. Nobody's choosing your style. You got real lucky. But that's it. That's my top 50 overall ranked players. I know there'll be disagreements. I understand that. That's fine. If you want to voice them in the comment section, just don't be a dick or an asshole about it. But I appreciate y'all being here. My name's Sal Vetri. Please do hit that like and subscribe before you go. It is Monday. We are three days away from the season starting. Content's coming out every single day. If you play daily fantasy sports, DFS, you should. If you don't, uh, you can go ahead. I have my Patreon content linked down below for a lot of that. There's already videos out for it this week. There's going to be even more. Thursday, I'll be live streaming probably around like 6 p.m. And I'll be going right up until the game starts on Thursday night. So be sure to get in with your stardom sit questions. Be sure to get in with your DFS questions, whatever you might have. I appreciate you all so much. Like and subscribe before you go. Check out the Supreme Draft Guide down below for just $10 rooskies as the season gets closer. Dominate your draft with that bad boy. And I will see you all in the next one.